With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Syndicate Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Cynical Podcast. Edison is having a little dental work done, but will be back with us next week. First, the news. Walmart, Target, Macy's, and hundreds of other companies and associations made a plea to President Donald Trump not to impose additional tariffs on Chinese goods and to return to the negotiating table to strike a trade deal with Beijing. More than 500 companies and 140 groups representing manufacturers, retailers, oil and gas firms, and other industries signed a letter addressed to Trump last week from Tariffs Hurt the Heartland, an umbrella group of trade associations that's pushing back against Trump's trade war. Trump placed duties on $250 billion of Chinese products in 2018. After talks on a trade deal with China faltered in May, he ordered a tariff increase to 25% from 10% on $200 billion of goods and targeted an additional $300 billion in products for duties, including consumer items from clothing to toys to mobile phones that the administration tried to spare in previous rounds. The coalition commissioned a report in February that showed the U.S. tariffs and China's retaliation would lead to the loss of more than 2 million U.S. jobs, increase costs for the average American family four by almost $2,300, and trim the U.S. GDP. Will China's baby formula makers ever overcome the melamine contamination scandal that killed six infants in 2008? Not without continuing to regain confidence and stabilizing supply, experts told Caixin in response to a recent government plan to boost the percentage of formula on the Chinese market that comes from domestic suppliers. China's top planners said last week that they hope to see the share of domestically produced formula used by consumers in China rise to 60%. The current share is around 40%, analysts estimate. The government also hopes to promote consolidation in the industry through mergers and acquisitions to increase efficiency. This will be a challenge as there remains a large gap in brand recognition of imported and Chinese-made baby formula among Chinese people 11 years after melamine-tainted formula from well-known domestic dairy brands killed six infants and sickened more than 300,000, one industry insider told Caixin. The source said that many domestic brands had improved significantly in terms of safety and quality, but the biggest challenge for producers was still to restore market confidence. At the same time, 
China's dairy farmers are usually small players, vulnerable to price fluctuations and ambiguous regulations have caused a deterioration in the business environment, forcing farmers out of the industry. Additionally, many larger domestic formula producers are reluctant to acquire and use the products of smaller companies because they don't trust the safety standards of smaller producers. The Hong Kong Stock Exchange will eliminate any vermin among its ranks, Chief Charles Lee has told reporters, referring to recent reports of internal corruption on the bourse. Hong Kong media reported earlier this week that a stock exchange official had colluded with IPO sponsors to approve listings by companies that had failed to meet official requirements in exchange for large bribes. Even a perfect mechanism might have rotten apples, Lee said, while stressing that he believed existing rules to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange left little room for corruption. Lee declined to comment further, citing the bourse's internal information disclosure rules. China's credit reporting system now has data on close to 1 billion citizens as well as 26 million businesses and other types of entities, the central bank said. Each day, on average, there are around 5 million inquiries to the individual credit reporting system and 300,000 inquiries to the corporate system. The bank said the credit reporting system has become the world's largest. Today's vast network is often traced back to a 2006 policy document that called for detailed data on individuals' and companies' history of loan repayments, tax payments, and other aspects of a person's financial dealings that would help to give a fuller picture of their ability to repay loans. Didi is on regulators' watch lists again. A driver for the ride-hailing company hit four people in Shanghai last week, seriously injuring one while rushing to avoid inspectors. City regulators have since ordered the company to begin an internal investigation and remove all drivers without the required ride-hailing qualifications by the end of this month. Last year, Didi was forced to overhaul its passenger safety mechanisms and suspend its hitch ride-sharing service indefinitely after two women were killed in separate incidents by their Didi drivers. Didi said on Friday that the Shanghai driver had overreacted to the inspector's presence out of nervousness. The company said it had formed an emergency team to take care of the victims and their families and will cooperate with the police investigation. BMW reported a 33% sales jump in China during May after a shift to local production of its X3 sport utility vehicle boosted deliveries, defying a year-long pullback in the world's largest auto market. Making the X3 locally helps avoid a 15% Chinese tariff on cars that were previously shipped from BMW's Spartanburg plant in North Carolina. The move also reduces the risk to the German automaker should trade tensions lead to additional levies. Last year, China temporarily raised tariffs on U.S.-made cars to 40%. BMW said those measures cost it $340 million in profit. BMW is in a battle with Mercedes-Benz for leadership in the luxury segment with the goal of regaining the top spot globally by next year. For the first five months of 2019, Mercedes has sold 66,000 more cars. Still, BMW has closed the gap, with sales rising 1.6% for the first five months, compared with declines of 4.7% for Mercedes and 5.8% for Audi. Let's turn now, as we do each week, to some of Sicing Global's reporters and editors for a closer look at some of the stories in the news. This week, no reporters, just an editor, Doug Young, managing editor of Sicing Global. Doug, so this week we're talking about Chinese e-commerce juggernaut Alibaba, which is going public uh, again. 
Well, they haven't gone public again, but uh, there's pretty credible reports. Uh, it's coming from Bloomberg, which is a pretty reputable source. And, and actually, one of my sources tells me it's also happening, which is Alibaba is considering doing a second listing in Hong Kong. Uh, and this would be complementing their major or their only listing right now, which is in New York. Uh, the story is really, you know, that they're doing this listing, uh, but there are a few other details. Uh, the big one being that they may raise or they're looking at raising about 20 billion U.S. dollars. Um, at least that's their initial target, which is, is a pretty hefty sum. If, if it actually happens and that's the size of the IPO, uh, apparently it would be the biggest IPO for Hong Kong since I think around 2010, so almost a decade uh, so it's it's a big deal. Uh, it's Alibaba. And also it's just interesting because not too many companies, a lot of companies do what they call secondary listings where they'll have like their main listing in Hong Kong or in China or in London or wherever. And then they'll do sort of like a secondary listing in New York. Uh, but those are usually very one-sided like the primary listing is always hong kong and then it's sort of like oh if some americans want to trade our shares too we'll do what's called a secondary listing and usually the volumes are much lower for secondary listings this one really looks like it would be almost like two equal listings like a, a major listing in new york and a major listing in hong kong which would be a little bit unusual and taken together the two listings the hong kong i'm sorry the new york one raised 25 billion dollars which is a record i don't think anybody's ever broken that uh, and this hong kong one would be another 20 billion so just between these two listings combined you'd be talking you know 45 billion us dollars which is quite a lot of money and doug why do you suppose they're doing this in the way that they're they're doing it yeah i looked at that question actually because uh, i i was wondering myself um i asked a few people and and have my own personal feelings i think one of the big reasons is is just politics. Uh, it's always been a bit, you know, embarrassing for China that that their a lot of their biggest uh, internet companies are all listed in New York. You know, it's a, a little bit of face saving for China because Hong Kong is part of China now, and and it's you know it's open to international investors, but it's it's also open to Chinese investors through this uh, Stock Connect program between uh, Shanghai, Shenzhen, and Hong Kong. So if Alibaba were to list in Hong Kong, it would open itself to to mainland stock traders much more easily because right now most mainlanders can't buy stocks in the U.S. So there's the political consideration, and then you know also opening their stock to to Chinese buyers. Uh, then the other one is is valuations. Uh, right now, Alibaba. I did a little research, and Alibaba's basically valued about half as much as Amazon, which is probably the closest thing as a comparable stock. So it's got pretty decent valuation. It's still worth four hundred billion dollars, but it, you know they may be thinking, oh, we're still underappreciated. Our our price to earnings ratio is half that of Amazon's. Our market value is half that of Amazon's, you know, maybe by coming back to China or at least Hong Kong, uh, they might be able to raise that valuation a little bit. And and the story with that is always that New York investors don't, you know, to them, Alibaba is just like a, a name, you know, they don't really 
understand their product because you know it's a Chinese product and and most Americans have zero exposure. You know, be like you or me asking about uh, the leading e-commerce site in Finland, we would know nothing about it, or you know some. Uh, instant messaging app in you know uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, it's it's all very abstract. Whereas uh, when they come to Hong Kong, you know Hong Kong people really do know you know what's Taobao and Alipay. You know they they know the Alibaba story much better. Uh, so they would be the the story is you know that they're probably more likely to be bullish on Alibaba and maybe value the stock a little higher than people in New York. So, Doug, gaze, if you will, into that crystal ball you keep in your desk drawer uh, and tell us how this listing is going to uh, to perform. Um, I would imagine it will probably get decent interest. Uh, I, I think people who want to buy Alibaba stock probably have mostly already bought it. But there are, you know, mainland retail investors who haven't gotten it. So they they may be in on it. I Frankly speaking, I do think we're looking at a bit of a stretch in terms of uh, is this going to be a gangbusters one because Alibaba's stock in the U.S. has already just been really, really stagnant. So it's like, you know, doing a second listing or are people suddenly going to start getting excited just because you do a second listing? You know, the, the company's fundamentals haven't changed. So uh, I would say... They'll probably pull it off, um, and they've got enough friends around. They can probably sell the full $20 billion. That's that's like chump change to Alibaba these days. Um, as to whether the IPO will do anything to lift their valuation, I would say probably not. Um, so it'll probably be, you know, it'll get a lot of bells and whistles, a lot of attention because it's Alibaba, but... I think at the end of the day, it's probably not going to, it'll win them some brownie points in Beijing. Some mainland investors might be happy, but I doubt it's going to do much for the company, you know, in terms of their valuation and, and certainly not their prospects. Well, it looks like we might know soon enough. So uh, we'll be sure to follow up with you on this. Okay. Well, thanks, Kaiser. Thank you, Doug. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shun. Back next week. Special thanks to Lee Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SubChina. Subscribe to our newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.